Hello, it is 28th of April 2019, and this is episode 100 of Scavengers Horde, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. We're here to deliver a regular rundown of Star Wars news, analysis, and commentary with a focus on the sequel trilogy and the future of the saga. And how has your week been, Rachel, as we celebrate our 100th episode? In the absence of any real news, it's mostly been about marking the centenary of the podcast. It's extremely exciting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's really cool. Like, um, because, yeah, you don't really keep track of the number you're on, you know, as you're going through it. And then it's like, my gosh, we really have done 100 episodes, haven't we? And it's a bit crazy, but in a really nice way. Yeah, it's kind of scary to think about how many hours of us droning on about Star Wars that is. (laughs) Yeah, I do not want to think about that. (laughs) But we still have a lot of fun with it, so we'll keep going. Yeah, Um. (laughs) exactly. I was actually talking to my dad earlier today, and I mentioned I was doing the podcast. And he was, in all sincerity, like, but don't you run out of things to talk about? And I was like, no, dad, I really don't. (laughs) It's It's very difficult to explain to people who aren't in it if that makes sense. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't realise that there's constantly new content coming out besides the movies. Yes, that's um, true. And even with just the movies, all the the press and the promotion that starts this early that most people probably aren't paying attention to yet. Yes. it It's really exciting for us, and presumably to our listeners. So we're going to follow it and talk about it. But yeah, I... I've had a few friends who like Star Wars but have been wanting to be supportive. So they're like, I'll give it a listen. And they say that, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, I gave it a listen. That sounds good. But you can tell that they're not going to keep up with it because it's like it's on another level of (laughs) going deep into this stuff that they probably just don't care about that much. So, yeah, exactly. I try to avoid telling people I know in real life. I put that in air quotes. So you've got to imagine that um, about the podcast. I might tell them I do a podcast, but. I'll only give the name under duress because it's like, I'm sorry, but this probably isn't for you. It's just so, so nerdy and so intensely detailed in a way that only a tiny minority of people are going to appreciate. It's like, there's a guy I work with who has a Star Wars mug and I was under the impression he was quite a big fan. But I showed him a picture I took from at Celebration of like a Gamoran guard like a really really cool cosplay and he looked at it and was like what's that is that from star wars <laughs> it's, like, it's like to me that's quite like a mainstream thing that most people would recognize you know by sight even if they don't know what it's called but i was like yeah i guess not wow and yeah like i'm just constantly being reminded of the fact that people have vastly vastly different understandings of slash relationships with Star Wars for me which is 100% fine it's just something I need to remember in my conversations to make sure I pitch them appropriately basically exactly yeah I've got a friend who just started dating a guy who has a Star Wars tattoo uh-huh and um she's never seen a Star Wars movie before so oh, wow <laughs> she was really worried about it she was like what if you know I'm, I'm not into his interest enough for him to want to keep dating me and I was like trust me he will love the opportunity to show you those movies for the first time oh yeah definitely <laughs> I know I would so yeah like on reddit I see so many posts along the lines of oh my boyfriend slash girlfriend has never seen Star Wars before which order should I show them the films in <laughs> and it's like dude do that there are so many threads on this I can't even begin to tell you 
like, I think you've just got to start with the one that you think they might enjoy most. Yes. If if you want them to keep watching them, it's not so much about like understanding the timeline. It's just, do I like this? Yeah, I showed a friend the old Star Wars movies, so the original trilogy, not the prequels, before The Force Awakens came out. The, and she thought the original trilogy was fine. It was just okay. But she really, really loved The Force Awakens, and that really spoke to her and really appealed to her. So... Yeah, I think for a lot of people, like, it is just going to be the modern films because they follow, like, the modern film language and they can be understood easily by modern audiences. Like, so I love the original trilogy and I still think they're great, fun and lively films, but I can't be objective about that because they've been part of my life since I was a tiny child. You know, so I can't view them as a modern 21st century viewer coming to them for the first time. So I expect if you are coming from that perspective, they might seem a little bit stodgy slash dated and the acting might seem a bit mannered and weird. And yeah, so it's just different perspectives all around. Mm hmm. For sure. OK, cool. Um, right. So let's move into the news. Um, the first thing we want to talk about is that there is a new discovery from amongst the interviews that were given at Star Wars Celebration. Um, and we can thank Slimo for uncovering this um, because it was something we all wanted to see with our own eyes because it was kind of alluded to with a tweet that came out during Celebration. But then this part of the interview was cut out of the GMA broadcast. So no one saw it and people were like, what happened? What happened? Yeah, we were ranting about that last week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and Slimo heard that rant, I believe, and it emboldened her to go go and renew the search, for which we're very grateful. Um, because, yeah, she came up trumps with a very interesting interview with Daisy Ridley. And, yeah, I think it's quite cool. She talks in quite general terms. It's about the Kylo and Rey relationship. Um, and she's not given anything away, but what she says sounds quite tantalising to me. Um, would you like to go through the interview, Kirsty? Sure, and before I start, I should say that I think last week um, I said that it was Clayton Sandal who interviewed her because he was the one tweeting about it, but it wasn't. It was actually Paula Farris at right. ABC. Cool. Um, so she says, So Daisy, you know, J.J. Abrams is back. Were you surprised by where he took your storyline with Kylo? Yes and no. I was surprised because I had a meeting with JJ like before the script had sort of become what it was, even though it was still moving pieces when we were filming. So I heard that, and then I heard something different, and it was all sort of developing as we went. So I was surprised, but it felt, for me, very satisfying. Like in general, I think all the emotional stuff, like the whole film, it just felt really satisfying. Everything felt right. And JJ is so open to everything that if you have a thought about something, you have a conversation and you try other stuff. And then Paula asks, where do things stand between the two of you, Ray and Kylo, in 9, The Rise of Skywalker? The Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> um, uh, that will be revealed, I guess. And Paula presses, it will be satisfying. And Daisy says, yeah, it's, you know, it's not like everything is hunky-dory. And so there's contention there, but it is explored in greater depth. <laughs> and Paula's like, oh, it's explored in depth. And Daisy says, in greater depth. <laughs> so she's trying her hardest to get more answers out of her by repeating what she's saying. But Daisy's good. She yeah. knows what she's doing. No, she's got the skill, I think, at this point. She's done the rodeo many times before. Um, yeah, no, I really like this interview. It's really cool. And... 
Yeah, like I love how often they're repeating the word satisfying. I've seen people suggest that that must be some sort of like approved word for the marketing from Lucasfilm, mm. <laughs> which I think is probably true. So I think everyone has been using it. Um, but yeah, I, I certainly want the film to be satisfying. It kind of has an obligation to be satisfying, given that it's closing out this trilogy and the trilogy of trilogies. And yeah, in terms of what they're saying about exploring the relationship in depth and really digging into it, that's what makes me most excited. Because like obviously we all have biases and we all have preferences, but for me it's most important that the dynamic is like taken seriously and explored in an interesting and detailed way and it sounds like that's going to be what they're doing so that makes me happy yeah and again that's not something that we've been actively worried about because it stands to reason that within the third act that central relationship will continue to evolve yes um but just hearing her talk about it is kind of reassuring in that aspect i guess um and acknowledging yeah it's not hunky-dory like because they're back to being complicated enemies as ryan johnson called them yes um but it's explored so they start on that foot and then go forward yeah and, and a lot can happen in an entire movie so yeah no exactly and yeah i'm really really intrigued to see like that first acknowledgement of each other from both of them you know in terms of are they going to be like really laying on thick with the whole oh he's a monster and ah, she rejected me i hate her you know or is it going to be a little bit more subtle than that i'm really very curious but yeah i expect that we'll get more of an idea of that as they open up more about it in the press leading up to december yeah um remember last time i think they were quite quiet about the ray and kylo stuff until that trailer hit yeah i remember it was like the autumn when the floodgates all seemed to open for the last jedi because then we had like daisy and adam interviewing each other in magazines (laughs) all kinds of stuff it's like, wow, this is a brave new world indeed. How exciting. And yeah, that was good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen some people a bit concerned uh, about Daisy saying that she's had input with JJ and conversations about it. But the same kind of thing was said, you know, when she read the script for The Last Jedi, she went and talked with Ryan. That's what actors and directors do. They collaborate and talk about things so that they can understand where the character's coming from and how their dynamics evolve. Uh, yeah it's very important for them to actually talk that stuff out it's not enough just to read the script yes so exactly and i'd prefer that daisy did it that way in that she was honest about her views on the storytelling and how things were shaping it up rather than just going through the motions kind of and doing it all mechanically because it is such an intensely emotional and deeply felt relationship that it needs to come from quite a real and honest place uh, and if you as an actor can't see an inroad into that character and into why they're doing what they're doing and saying what they're saying, it would be very difficult for you to do a good job in terms of delivering that material. So, yeah, I think it's crucial and I don't think anyone should be worried. Like, I don't for a moment get any sort of implication where Daisy was like, oh, JJ, you can't tell this story. We need to tell a different story of this. I don't think that's what's happening. I think it's a question of making adjustments and adding little bits here and there perhaps rather than completely changing course with anything yeah and then when you're actually going through the process of filming things sometimes you want to try things that are slightly different in a scene that add a different layer of meaning or implication um it's it's just a creative process 
So exactly. I love you. I know. <laughs> it was on my mind this week because um, of that Galaxy Ad- Adventures episode. Oh God, that was so good. Han and Leia. Yeah, it was really well done. I love that. In a Galaxy of Adventures, love saves everything. <laughs> that was wrong. Love conquers all. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Love conquers all. <laughs> yeah. No, exactly. That's the sort of message I can get behind. Yay. Same. So yeah, it was very wholesome and lovely and. Yeah, it left me feeling like, yeah, that's the stars I love. <laughs> so it was good. Um, cool. Is there anything else you want to say about that interview with Daisy? Um, I don't think so. Obviously, she's not able to go into great detail. Yeah. Yeah, just watch this space, I guess. And she'll probably be saying similar, progressively slightly more revealing things as the press tour goes along. And once Adam gets involved, he'll probably be asked similar things. So Exactly. We'll see. <laughs> Yeah, and we'll see how they've all been coached. <laughs> yeah, the satisfying thing is quite funny because obviously that's a that's a descriptor that you would expect to be tied to the third act of a trilogy and especially, you know, the ninth part of the Skywalker saga. Um, and I think it's also in response to what they've recognised to be some of the pushback against The Last Jedi because the end of a second act is kind of supposed to be divisive and leave people wondering, can this be fixed? Yeah, um, they're supposed to be high stakes in that moment, and to feel all is lost in some ways, but also hopeful in others. So it stands to reason that they would say it's satisfying because that's kind of the resolution of something. I'm sure similar things were being said about Endgame this week and in the months leading up to that movie. So yeah, exactly. It's so funny though, isn't it? Because obviously the Star Wars fan base is such a vast and many faceted thing that satisfying means so many different things to different people well i think it's just you you can't get attached to too many specific things that you expect to happen so in terms of like how how storytelling goes or how storytelling specifically in like the fantasy fairy tale genre world um I think it's fair to say it'll be satisfying, but that doesn't mean, yeah, that everyone will get their personally tailored fan fiction. If people are expecting that, they might be setting themselves up for disappointment. So just go in expecting to be entertained and exactly. moved. Yeah. Now yeah. go with an open mind, basically. Yeah. Okay, cool. Right, let's move on to the next story, which is that we have a report indicating that the rise of Skywalker will have a panel at San Diego Comic-Con and the Mandalorian will be previewed at D23. So, right, this is from Jason at Making Star Wars, and he has this to say. A well-respected source of mine with an excellent track record for accuracy tells MakingStarWars.net, San Diego Comic-Con should have a Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker panel this summer, and this year's D23 is supposed to focus on the Mandalorian and the connection to the Disney Plus service. Jason goes on a little to add some context, but that's really the crux of it. So I'll leave the quote in there. Um, But yeah, this pleases me. Uh, The Last Jedi did not have any presence at Comic-Con in 2017. So it's really cool that it's going to come back to that event. Um, I expect we'd get something quite major, like a behind-the-scenes reel or something. What would you be expecting from it, Kirsty? Well, this is just a rumour right now, right? Yeah. Nothing's been confirmed. Um... So I wasn't sure whether to anticipate something like that, but I know that they were at D23 last time because that's when we saw that behind-the-scenes footage yes. from The Last Jedi. Um, and now they've got The Mandalorian to promote too. I guess it makes sense to kind of spread it out a little bit. So, 
yeah maybe we'll get a teaser poster and behind the scenes stuff then yeah i would be up for that indeed and it would also be quite cool to see quite a large number of cast members there so it wouldn't surprise me if they bring people to comic con that would not at celebration like bring adam driver out of hiding please i'm not going to expect that <laughs> I don't expect anything, but the only reason I buy into him coming to that more is because he went to Comic Con in 2015. 2015 is obviously a long time ago, and I'm sure it was written into his contract at the time that he attended that event. But you never know, they could ask very nicely. So, yeah. I don't know if he's filming something else over the summer, or I know it'll be after Burn This is finished, right? So yeah, it's only just after Burn This. So hopefully he'll have a little bit of a break before he goes into another film. But nothing would surprise me of Adam because he's like a complete workhorse and he never seems to stop. So yeah, we will see. So I think he's meant to be filming Annette after he wraps on Burn This. But I'm not sure how soon he'll be moving on to that project. Right. Um. Yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of cast members who weren't at Celebration. It's a huge cast, so... Mark Hamill could make an appearance. Um, we could get a newcomer like Richard E. Grant. Carrie Russell, Carrie Russell, Carrie Russell. Well. <laughs> Can I will it into yeah. existence by just repeating Carrie Russell? <laughs> probably not. It probably depends how much they want to share about all these different characters. Yes, you're right. So, yeah. Who knows? We'll see. Yeah. I guess if they have more actors, then the less each of them have to say, which is probably a good thing. Yeah. Again, it would probably be more a case of like getting details through things like the footage that they choose to show rather than the actors' actual statements. So. Yeah. No, exactly. That tends to be fluff. But they might give character names and stuff. I know that we know Kerry Russell's character name for a leak anyway. But we still don't have a name for Richard E. Grant. I'm sure we'll probably be like general something something. But hey ho. Mm-hmm. Right. So on the subject of speculation, <laughs> specifically speculating over not much at all, um, we have some enamel pins from Loungefly, which are themed around the rise of Skywalker. Um, so there's four pins. There's one with Kylo Ren's cracked helmet. There's one of BBA and the new droid, which is called Dio? Dio, Dio yeah. Yeah, no, it's very cute. There's one of the rebel symbol. And then there's the most intriguing one. Could you describe the last pin, Kirsty? Uh, it's Rey and Kylo fighting, and it looks like there's a sea behind them. Mm-hmm. Some kind of water, ocean thing, and it's got it's kind of ornate filigree-type adornment around them, framing them both. And Kylo's masked. Yes. And there's sort of like a funny starburst type thing emerging from the lightsabers as they clash, which is quite picturesque. Yeah, so it's hard to know if this is based on an actual scene within the movie or if it's just something that depicts their general dynamic across the trilogy because obviously we've seen them duel. So yeah, it's a very beautiful pin. Yeah. It remains to be seen, like you've pointed out, Kirsty, how much relation it has to anything that might happen in the film but yeah i i like it very much it's very pretty and yeah i didn't know loungefly did um pins actually i think i associate them almost purely with those cute backpacks so i was like wow they do pins too 
But yeah, mm-hmm. I might need to branch out into the lounge fly pin business. So yeah, these are quite <laughs> adorable. They are. Not as good as Courtney's pins, though. <laughs> Sorry. We could do a shout out to Squadron Goals. Yeah, they are really, really great pins. So yeah, they deserve a shout out. Um, but yeah, they're cute and it's nice to see new merchandise on the horizon because we're obviously slaves to Disney or corporate masters. Yeah, I wonder if this was meant to go out this early because we mm. haven't seen any other The Rise of Skywalker merch. Yeah, I think it was through like a third party vendor or something. Oh, I which... see. So they probably weren't supposed to share it yet. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't seem like anyone's tried to take it down though. I think it's still up on the original website. So maybe they saw it got out and they're like, ah, what does it tell people anyway? <laughs> so... True. Yeah, it's yeah. not particularly spoilery. Exactly. Unless you are dreadfully shocked with the idea of Rey and Kylo fighting again. No! <laughs> or you somehow miss Dio. Or the fact that Kylo's mask is back, but now you know, so. Yeah. Or the fact that Kylo's mask has been repaired with red adhesive. Shocking. <laughs> okay. So, to move on from the news... Because it's our 100th episode, we wanted to do something a little bit special and different. And we thought the most fitting thing we could probably do is to run through the entire Star Wars saga so far. So we're talking Star Wars episodes 1 through 8, because obviously we don't have episode 9 yet. Um, And yeah, just talk about our favourite moments slash highlights from each of those movies. You know, it's like a way of giving an overarching bird's eye view of our experience with the saga. And as part of this, we invited listeners to submit their thoughts and their favourite moments. So yeah, we'll try to weave those in as well. So yeah, this should be fun. And yeah, I certainly had lots of fun picking the moments. Like, did you enjoy that, Kirsty? Like revisiting scenes and stuff? I did, but it was also really hard to choose. Yeah. Because if you just have to choose one per movie... Um, I think I've got one in there from Solo as well, but nothing from Rogue One. Um, and we had a listener submit one from Solo as well. Nice. Um, but most of the discussion will be to the Skywalker saga. Sure. Um, but even then, it's like, oh my god, if I pick this moment, I can't pick this one. And then you're wondering if you should like avoid the obvious iconic moments that people have talked about for 40 years. But some of them you've just got to bring up because they are Star Wars for us. So Yeah exactly you've got to like be a bit you've got to give yourself a bit of like reprieve from that pressure i think so it's like yeah it's iconic for a reason (laughs) exactly yeah were there particular films where you found it harder to choose a specific scene probably the more recent ones yeah Um, same they're fresher in my mind um and it's it's really hard to isolate one moment because obviously a story it all builds on each other Mm. So if you're thinking about, for example, like the various force bond sequences in The Last Jedi, it's like, how do you just pick one? Because they all flow together and tell the story of that evolving dynamic. Yes. Um, But we'll do our best. And like you said, we have lots of contributions from listeners. So thank you for sending those in. Um, Because I agree with all of them. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, we do want to talk about that, too. So thank you for bringing it up. Yeah. Um, Because... For the sake of brevity, we're trying to pick just one each per movie, but I don't know. There's so many good Star Wars moments. <laughs> we're fans for a reason. Um, yeah, so let's start with The Phantom Menace. Would you like to talk about what your favourite moment is, Kirsty, and why? 
Sure. Um, this was a really hard one to pick because there are lots of great moments in The Phantom Menace and there are so many different characters that you know have these different types of interactions with each other. I was really tempted to go with the, the jewel at the end, um, Jewel of the Fates. Yeah. Um, with Maul and Qui-Gon and then Obi-Wan because that's some real mythic storytelling and a great action sequence. Um, and of course the music is just perfect. Um, but I didn't. In the end, I went for the dinner scene when Shmi lets Anakin pod race, just because there's so much going on in that scene. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I don't know if this is a popular scene for other people because I'm not as involved with prequel fandom, so I don't know what like the general perception of various scenes is and which ones are fan favorites. But I was watching this again last night and I was like, oh, this is really lovely. Yeah. Um, there's so much happening during just a few minutes because you get um. Padme's kind of naive optimism in the Republic's anti-slavery laws and she's saying this kind of thing to slaves so it's like come on Padme <laughs> get a clue maybe yeah. be a bit more tactful with me um Anakin's asking point blank if they've come to free them which is very awkward and Qui-Gon's just like no <laughs> <laughs> so you get a lot of interesting stuff from Qui-Gon's character there yeah um and then you get really lovely back and forth between Anakin and Qui-Gon because Anakin's saying oh I noticed your saber nobody can kill a Jedi um <laughs> yeah Qui-Gon's like how did you know I didn't just take this from a Jedi I could have killed him <laughs> um and I just really I love Jake Lloyd as Anakin I think he actually does a really great job yeah um, no, and he's adorable yeah, and he was just a little kid, so anything that comes across as like a bit stilted is probably more an issue with the dialogue than his performance. Um, but also, Anakin is supposed to be precocious because he's a child prodigy. Um, so it's kind of, he's supposed to stand apart a little bit because during the sequence, he's saying, I'm the only human who can pod race. Um, he's supposed to be marked as special. Yeah, it's built into the character. Yeah, and I I also just really love this scene for show, showing Shmi's protectiveness and worry over Anakin. Yeah. Because this is just before she has to say goodbye to him for what they think is forever. Yeah. Um, And Anakin is just so sweet and he's saying things like, Mum, you say the biggest problem in this universe is nobody helps each other. And it just reminds you of how good Darth Vader was. Yeah. Um, How good he could be. Yeah. And how much he cared for others and he really wanted to help. So it's just a really heartwarming scene. And of course, throughout you have the, the comic relief from Jar Jar Binks trying to <laughs> eat things with his tongue that lashes out. Uh, <laughs> yeah, iconic so, Jar Jar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, there, there's, a lot, there's a lot to love there. But I also really love the, the part that you picked too. So I was like, oh, okay, I could just as easily have gone with that one. So do you want to talk about yours? Uh, yeah. No, so my pick actually follows on very organically from your pick um, because I chose the scene where Shmi says goodbye to Anakin. So it's quite clear in my mind because I watched The Phantom Menace on my plane trip to Chicago because, yeah, fitting, of course. Um, and, yeah, it just really struck me how you have this contrast between this little boy's like extreme excitement like about the prospect of going away with this exciting Jedi to be trained is basically like going to Hogwarts basically in the Star Wars universe at that time and he acts as you'd expect a little boy to act and he's kind of not really thinking about the consequences or what it really means and Shmi I think 
Penilla August, the actress, she does a really great job of conveying that like inner pain and sorrow of having to lose her child, but also that acceptance of knowing yeah even though this is heartbreaking for me and I'll probably never get over saying goodbye to him it is the right thing and he's going to have a better life because of this and yeah I just think the resignation and love in her face when she's just stood there by the homestead watching them leave it's quite powerful to me and yeah it touched me yeah I really felt it and it's the sort of moment that makes Star Wars magic for me because there was emotional honesty in it and I really value it yeah, it's a really wonderful performance from her. Um, and yeah, like you say, you can feel that devastation, but also wanting to do what she thinks is going to be right for her son. So Yeah, that was really beautiful. It just makes me so angry that they couldn't free her as well. <laughs> yeah, like he's really brutal because they obviously do make a point of showing that Qui-Gon tried to free Shmi, but it's like, you could have probably tried harder. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> yeah um but yeah and um, we also have a twitter message from my friend liam actually liam's one of my closest friends in real life so mm. he's one of the few real life friends of mine who does know about the podcast um and he said i think my all-time favorites are a tie between the pod race in the phantom menace or vader's silent sacrifice and return of the jedi which we'll get to later um and yeah the pod race is really really well done i think mm-hmm. From a special effects point of view, especially, it holds up so well. It's really quite startling because I hate to say it, but most special effects from 1999 look shit, whereas the Phantom <laughs> Menace still looks really strong and really compelling. I mean, I, I I learned a lot about this from the Doug Chang panel that we were talking about yes. from Celebration, but not everything is like the special effects in terms of CGI. Yeah, this the prequels especially have this reputation for being mostly CGI, but actually. There's an awful lot of real models as well. Yeah. Um, real sets. Practical yes, effects. Practical effects. <laughs> but there was a lot of that. So no, there that's was. what he was showing us, how much work went into making these like miniature sets. Um what was he saying? John Knoll had that idea for like colouring all the um the cotton earbuds. Um oh, for the crowd, so yes. Could, like, yeah. Right. yeah, yeah. What an amazing idea that worked really well. Um and yeah, just looking at his sketches evolving for how Anakin's pod racer would, would look um, kind of patched together in that higgledy-piggledy way that gives the pod race its, uh, its kinetic feel, you know, that yeah. anything could fall apart at any second. It feels very vibrant. So yeah, that is a really... Well, it is an iconic moment in Star Wars, isn't it, really? so Yeah, definitely. It's easily one of the most compelling action sequences. So yeah, a lot to love in The Phantom Menace. Exactly. Right, let's move on to Attack of the Clones. So, yep, Kirsty, what is your pick? It's the fireplace scene. Ooh, get yep. sexy. Annie Darlestan through and through. <laughs> uh, I remember seeing this in the cinema with my friends. I think, I guess we must have been about 12, 13. Mm-hmm. So we're just at that age where we're, you know, like, oh, romance. Um, and I just love it so much because, firstly, you know, the lighting and the way they're dressed and everything, it's obviously supposed to be like this very intimate, romantic moment. Yes. Um, that they're both, well, 
say Padme is trying to like battle against in terms of like saying no we can't do this but Anakin's very much like yes let's do this <laughs> um, and his big monologue uh, I actually wrote it out on Twitter the other day shall I read it out yes please do <laughs> you've got to act delivery? it Kirsty it's act so it. good I love it um, it's just very relatable if you think back to what it was like being a teenager yeah um, being an inexperienced with these kinds of romantic scenarios and being completely besotted, because he obviously is. It's just taken over his life. Um, he can't think of anything else. Uh, <laughs> what were you going to say? Sorry, yeah. Um, it reminds me of the fan fiction that I wrote when I was a teenager in terms of like the melodramatic nature of the romantic dialogue, shall we say. And yeah, just lots of talking about feelings. And it's it's yeah. very overdramatic and I think that's intentional from George I think he was trying to convey this sense of like a romantic period drama from these people who were just kind of they'd just gone through adolescence but were still very inexperienced in terms of romantic relationships didn't know how to handle and grapple these feelings or express them in a way um, so you know Anakin says from the moment I met you all those years ago not a day has gone by when I haven't thought of you and now that I'm with you again, I'm in agony. The closer I get to you, the worse it gets. The thought of not being with you, I can't breathe. I'm haunted by the kiss that you should never have given me. My heart is beating, hoping that kiss will not become a scar. You are in my very soul, tormenting me. What can I do? I will do anything you ask. If you are suffering as much as I am, please tell me. Um, I really love Aiden's delivery of these these lines, actually. Yeah. Um. I know that the fandom, probably less so these days, but back then were definitely divided on Aiden's performance as Anakin. Um, and it must have actually been quite shocking for a lot of people to see this as Darth Vader. Yeah. Because obviously at this point, you're supposed to be thinking, how the hell does this guy get to become Darth Vader, who we see as this, for much of the original trilogy, so emotionless, um, so dark, so lost, so not human. And this is a very human young man who is just completely in love and doesn't know how to handle it. Yeah. Um, my favourite part, actually, is when Padme starts to push back and she's like, no, and lists the reasons why they shouldn't be doing this. Um, it'll ruin their lives and she's not prepared to let Anakin kind of sacrifice his future career as a Jedi. Um, he says, you are asking me to be rational. That is something I know I cannot do. <laughs> that is the perfect Anakin or Skywalker men in general line. <laughs> yeah. No, it's great, isn't it? It's the yeah. sort of line that Kylo would say if he were being honest, but he would never be honest. <laughs> <laughs> the rational? Yeah, that's not going to happen. Yeah. No, like, it's quite wonderful because, yeah, it is kind of how I imagine, like, a teenage boy who has literally had, like, zero experience of romance and probably very minimal experience of females in general who are not Jedi um, like how he would talk in those circumstances you know so it sounds very alien to our ears but yeah it's very heightened and it's very extreme it's sort of like a monk being let out into the world for the first time and being like ah hormones feelings ah <laughs> kind of and yeah it's just yeah. a lot yeah, Darth Vader is a romantic and he doesn't care who knows it. And um, he says, I've been thinking about you every day since we last met. And that was 10 years ago. Yeah. So 
That's intense. So even before they reunite, and you can tell, you know, when they first reunite in the scene and he's going up in the lift with Obi-Wan, he's incredibly nervous because he already has feelings for her. Yes. And you can debate until the cows come home, like, does that mean that he had this idea in his head of a Padme that wasn't really Padme? He mm-hmm. had this idealised version of her. Um, but either way, um, this is the start of a love affair. Um, because it's it's clear that Padme does return his feelings. She basically says that, and he says, oh, so you do feel the same. But she's got her head slightly more screwed on and um, is thinking about the implications for both of their careers because it is forbidden. Um, but she's also wearing a really hot outfit. So yeah. <laughs> it's just the kind of... Um, like the way that the outfit is shown in the lighting from the fire and like the way she kind of undulates her body as she moves away from him as he's <laughs> saying all of these incredibly intense things it's supposed to be suggestive yes exactly. so you've seen the yeah. robot chicken stars haven't you i haven't actually oh you haven't oh wow nope. i need to send that to you because robot chicken do a wonderful rendition of that fireplace scene where they literally have like padme like pole dancing as like anakin <laughs> is getting more and more sweaty <laughs> Yeah. And it's very funny. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's quite special. Um, <laughs> yeah, I will send that to you. Uh, yeah, would now be a good time to talk about Nicole's choice as well. So I think that ties in quite well to the discussion. Sure. Um, so Nicole on Twitter says, The floating pear scene in Attack of the Clones. It seems silly, but it holds a special place in my heart. I was 12-ish, and my best friend and I had constant Star Wars sleepovers where we watched them all. Attack of the Clones was our favourite. During that scene, we always paused to get sparkling grape juice and pears. <laughs> oh, That's wonderful, isn't it? I love hearing stories like that, because yeah, yeah, these moments are so much about what you attach to them on a personal level, and thinking about, oh yeah, I saw that under these circumstances with this friend, and we did this awesome thing to like mm-hmm. commemorate this beautiful moment yeah it's pretty awesome yeah i remember like you know me and all my friends we went to watch it in the cinema and then we would watch it repeatedly at sleepovers oh because it really was cool. so it was so romantic yeah it's really interesting how it transitions from that scene with the pair to the scene by the fireplace it kind of melds into one thing and it's the implication there is that they're spending day and night together with no one else around oh. what 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 was gonna happen <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Wasn't it Palpatine's suggestion that Anakin gets Yes, it was. Of he course what it he was. was doing. <laughs> he yeah. truly was the mastermind behind everything. Oh, yeah. yeah <laughs> everything was planned. And somehow the Jedi Council fell for it all. They, it didn't even occur to them. Hashtag What's the Jedi deserve to, to end. <laughs> Look, Obi-Wan didn't think, wait, Anakin <laughs> seems to have the hots for Padme. <laughs> Maybe this is a bad idea. <laughs> Uh, I think the Jedi are talented and skilled in many areas. They are not skilled in interpersonal relationships. I think that's fair. Okay, maybe. But I feel like Anakin, apart from Padme, Obi-Wan is the person at this point, and I I, I guess Palpatine later, um, the person he's confiding most in, and he's pretty emotionally honest with him in terms of when they're going up to meet Padme at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Um, about how nervous he is and everything. So you'd think that Obi-Wan would cotton on, but apparently not. <laughs> Bless. Bless him. <laughs> uh, 
I love how we both spontaneously said bless independent <laughs> of each other at exactly the same time. Well, yeah, that's yeah, why we it, do a podcast. It is that kind of moment. It's like, oh, maybe one. <laughs> Adorable. Um, and he wasn't completely unfamiliar with that stuff. You know, he had romances of his own, so. Yes, that's true. Yeah, although it is kind of like a retrofit, isn't it? Because obviously it's in the Clone Wars, so it came after. Well, um, sure. But I, I know it still counts. Yeah. I know it still counts. It's, it's all canon. But yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I guess it's probably because I find it funny, the idea of them all being so clueless. But. Well, I think the rest of them were. I think Yoda had absolutely no idea. Even when um, Anakin goes to him later and says, I'm scared of someone close to me dying. I don't think Yoda has a real sense of who it is. Yeah. That's true, which is quite special of him. <laughs> like, come on. Um, anyway, do you want to talk about your favourite moment from episode two? Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, yep, so my favourite moment is very, very different in terms of tone and topic. Um, it's the scene where Shimi and Anakin are reunited. It's obviously under unfavourable circumstances <laughs> because Shimi has been kidnapped and tortured by the Sand People and she's in a really, really bad way when Anakin finds her. Holy shit. Um, it's quite brutal. Um, and yeah, I just... Again, it's probably Penilla August, to be honest, bringing that emotional honesty and intensity to the moment. I also think Hayden's really good in the scene. But like the two of them together, it's just so poignant. And it does recall that parting moment in The Phantom Menace and just the thought that... For those two characters, those moments run off each other. So you have Anakin as a really small boy, and then you have him as a young man. And that's literally sequential in terms of being the last time they saw each other, and then the final time they saw each other. And Mm -hmm. God, there's just that awful, heart-rending tragedy of this reunion that Shami's probably dreamed of for 10 years and wanted more than anything. And then it finally happens, but she's literally on the verge of death and she in the end can't even get out I love you she dies before she can say the whole line you know and or it just really gets to me and I also think it really I I, and I also find it really powerful because that is a key moment in the creation of Darth Vader Mm -hmm. because yeah you feel his rage Exactly, yeah. And it's completely sympathetic and understandable rage. I think anyone would feel that anger in that moment. Because, yeah, I know lots of people laugh at that moment later on where Padme is like, to be angry is to be human. Because, yeah, she kind of downplays what turned into a massacre quite a bit. But that is true on a certain level. And in the moment that is happening, you can fully empathise with Anakin, even though he's doing a terrible thing. And... Yeah, that's really the time when you see him starting to go down a dog path. Mm-hmm, definitely. And that's that's what's powerful about it. You can follow his emotions and see why someone in his position would behave that way, as abhorrent as it is. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, like you, I do think that Padme's response is very understated. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know if there's like a, a speciesist thing going on where she doesn't consider his victims human enough to react as if they were um that might be part of it yeah but but yeah um the warning signs were there exactly and yeah i think it's just that really interesting contrast between seeing anakin basically return to that state of being a little boy 
and then definitely not being a little boy when he's massacring people is that perfect contrast between innocence and corruption and Mm -hmm. yeah it's just a really interesting moment yeah okay so then let's move on to revenge of the sith uh yeah kirsty so would you like to talk about your favorite revenge of the sith moment uh yeah so this was really hard to pick because there i think there are lots of great moments in this movie and it all is working together to build towards this tragedy at the end um but a really really great scene in my opinion is anakin and palpatine at the opera um because Mm. here you can see everything coming together in palpatine's plan yes uh you can see how easily he manipulates anakin he knows his weakness for padme um, and how Anakin is still not over the loss of his mother and how he feels that guilt and desperation um, and how easy it is for Palpatine to casually flatter Anakin by saying he's the best choice to take out Grievous and it would be a grave mistake if the council didn't pick you and to kind of stoke the resentment that he knows Anakin already feels for the council. Yeah. Um, so I, I also just love the setup for the scene, like Anakin running into this very opulent opera house to try and find Palpatine and then like slowing down once he starts to reach his box and just generally feeling quite out of place because at the end of the day the Jedi is supposed to be ascetic monk-like characters yes but they're in this high society Coruscant world um and Anakin was brought up as a slave on Tatooine you know we've seen that progression of his life so I think he does in a way feel very uh, like much like he doesn't belong there because this is more like Padme's world. Yeah. Um, now I did think that obviously... actually. So I rewatched the scene just before we started recording, and in the scene where he's running up the stairs alongside all these very fancily dressed opera goers, like I did think he sticks out like a sore thumb. <laughs> like it's everyone's wearing these beautiful gowns and stuff, and he's just in a cloak. It's quite a nice cloak, but it is just a cloak, and yeah like it's an interesting insight into the stratification of the world and the different hierarchies and classes so he's very separate from the mainstream and yeah reminds you of that but god like palpatine is so good in that scene he's just like twisting anakin around his little finger and he's having a lot of fun doing it which i always respect and admire yeah because there's obviously so much that we know that's there in what he's saying that Anakin doesn't know. Like, yes. oh yeah, by the way, that was me that killed my master in his sleep. Ha ha. Yeah. Um, Lols. It's so evil. Um, and yeah, Anakin is in that place where he's so desperate to save Padme that he'll listen to anything. And the fact that he hears that this is, you know, the work of a Sith and is still like, hmm, how do I learn how to do this? It's like, oh, uh, really? Yeah. He's in that place where he can't go through that kind of loss again. Yeah. Um, because losing his mother almost broke him and losing Padme does. So Yeah, exactly. It's like the repercussions of those individual moments and specifically how Palpatine zones in on them and exploits them. He's very, mm-hmm. very clever. Watching the scene again reminded me of how excited I am for him to be back. It's like, yeah, I like this. <laughs> You take control, Palpatine. You deserve it. You in your forward planning. <laughs> he is a planner. Yeah. No, he's very, very organised. No one could say otherwise, I think. Um, right, then my pick for Revenge of the Sith is Anakin and Padme on Mustafar. Um, and 
yeah, basically, I'm specifically talking about the scene where Padme arrives on the planet and she rushes to Anakin, they embrace, and she's obviously deeply distressed and panicked by everything that's been happening on Coruscant because the temple is burning and everything's gone to shit basically and she still doesn't fully accept what's happened and that Anakin has turned to the dark side and I just oh like it gets me so hard like seeing that dawning on her face as she realizes that holy shit he has gone dark he is not the man I know and love and oh it's just so tragic and it really gets to me um actually I was reading the great J.W. Rinsler book, The Making of Revenge of the Sith. And I found a nice quote from George Lucas that's specifically about this scene. And I just wanted to bring it in. So Lucas, the thing that breaks Padme's heart in the end is the fact that Anakin says to her, come and join me. I have all the power now. I can rule the universe and you can do it with me. So the idea of saving her life becomes a minor issue. And that's what when she says, wait a minute, this is not what I want and you're not the guy I fell in love with. And yeah, of course, George would be able to explain it very well because he wrote it and had the whole idea behind it. But yeah, I think it just captures it really nicely. And yeah, it's that whole idea about Anakin having fallen into this complete delusion where he's convinced that he's righteous and he's doing the right things for the right reasons but Padme, because she's clear-headed and can take a step back from it, she looks at him and she realises, no, this isn't about me, this isn't about our love or our relationship, this is about your need for power, and I'm just an accessory to that at this stage. And, yes, these people realising they're on divergent paths, again, so it's like the Rain Kylo moment in The Last Jedi, oh, it gets to me so much. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's a conscious parallel, so I think it was very important for you to bring this up, because it is echoing through the saga. Yeah. Because at that point, when Rey says, don't do this, please don't go this way, um, she was hoping that Kylo would turn to to good. Yes. He was already on the dark side, and she was hoping that he would have redeemed himself in this moment. Yeah. And that isn't what happens. So. Exactly. And yeah, it's these different like scenarios playing out with slightly different outcomes and different contexts and it's one of the great strengths of Star Wars that it does that because like the mirroring the mirroring when it's done as effectively as it does as it is between this moment in Revenge of the Sith and the moment in The Last Jedi I think it's so effective and so poignant that yeah it just gets me Mm -hmm. yeah this film destroys me (laughs) Yeah, it's heartbreaking. <laughs> I can't watch it too often because it's just so sad. It really is. Yeah. I saw something um, where like Natalie Portman was interviewed, I think, and she's talking about how her, st- her son likes Star Wars and like she was on the verge of showing him the prequels because obviously Mummy was in them. But then she realised, holy shit, the prequels, they wind up with me like dying in childbirth. <laughs> And it's like, yeah, maybe I shouldn't show my small child these films. He might be slightly traumatised. Like, he may well have seen them now because it's obviously a few years and he might be old enough to... But, oh, yes, Mummy's just playing a character. Everything's fine. But, yeah, it's really upsetting. And, yeah, it speaks to some very relatable and frightening situations that, yeah, are really emotional and effective. Mm Mm-hmm. 
We have a couple of listener submissions from Revenge of the Sith. Um, Michael on Twitter says, It's Anakin's smile when he says to Padme, We're not going to worry about anything right now, all right? This is a happy moment, the happiest moment of my life. That is a really great moment. It's so ominous because it's right at the beginning of the movie when the Padme's just told him that she's expecting a baby. Uh, and you can really see Anakin's happiness, both of them, excitement, and, she, and she's kind of trepidatious as well, she's telling him, she's like, not really sure how this is going to go, but this is what's happening. Mm. Um, and it's just the start of everything kind of falling apart for them, but in this moment, they are really happy together. Yeah. No, and again, it's that poignancy of knowing it's a tragedy, so that happiness is going to be soured as it goes on. Mm-hmm. Um, Zombie Duckling on Twitter says the first moment that came to my mind is the scene in Revenge of the Sith before Anakin rushes to help Palpatine after Windu told him to stay in the Jedi Temple the haunting music, great acting and tragedy of it all, seeing Anakin and Padme connect from the distance beautiful and sad that is a really wonderful moment Um, it's Padme's ruminations on the soundtrack which is a beautiful piece of music that really encompasses the scope of what both characters are feeling see Padme's worry and Anakin's you know actively trying to decide what to do and then of course he makes the wrong decision yeah um yeah and that's just kind of the turning point for them both exactly and it's really gorgeous visual storytelling as well like it's purely done through the images of both of them and you know what's going through their heads and yeah it's really effective Right, so then, with that said, we finally make inroads into the original trilogy. Oh my god, this has taken so long. It's only, I'm enjoying it, it's definitely worth doing at length. But yeah, there's just a lot of ground to cover. Um, so, yep, Kirsty, I pass the baton to you for this. Uh, well, I had to go with Binary Sunset, because of course, but then I also feel like what hasn't been said about this moment? Yeah. Um, because it's iconic for a reason. Um, I wanted to talk about the transition between Luke's scene with Owen and Baru to the binary sunset because that's what makes it incredibly relatable for me. Yeah. Um, when you're watching that as a young person, itching to leave home and find your own sense of identity. Yeah. Um, that's that's what's coming across. You know, you have Baru and Owen who obviously care for Luke so much, um, have very different kind of parenting styles, but complement each other. But he's understandably fed up and just wants to get out and dreams of something bigger. Yes. Um, and I also really love Baru comparing Luke with his father. Because, of course, at this moment when George Lucas was writing this and they were filming it, they had no idea that Darth Vader was going to end up being his father. Yeah. Um, at this point, they really were going with um, Luke's father being a Jedi who who died. Yeah. Um. But I love it. Again, for similar reasons in terms of like being recontextualized over the years, it's echoed in The Force Awakens with Han and Leia's conversation about Ben. Um, too much like his father. Um, yeah. Too much, too much Vader in him. Um, I think that's very much conscious. And, and again, like what hasn't been said about John Williams' perfect score, how it's... I mean, that music and the visual of Luke looking at that sunset. Yeah. It is just perfect. It is gorgeous. When I saw um, Star Wars in concert at the Royal Albert Hall, like the playing was so perfect and so immaculate that you usually forgot that you were watching the film with a live orchestra. 
but for that moment the binary sunset moment I felt it wow it was just extraordinary the power of that music and it's just so rich and it really gets into your bones there's something so thrilling about it and yeah John Williams man you cannot get better than that um and how you watch that now mm, and after having The Last Jedi yeah that somehow makes it even more emotional that we have Luke at the end there and that really is the completion of his hero journey yes um god it's a beautiful visual to set that off yeah that was a really wonderful cycle and yeah this is probably a good point to bring in Sean Kelly's email so he says hi my favorite Star Wars moment is when Luke is looking out across the sand dunes of Tatooine John Williams's score here the binary sunset carries raw emotion I can really feel with Luke's desire to be more than what he is he wishes to follow in the footsteps of his father and this moment staring out across the dunes with the setting suns is a moment filled with so much emotion just hearing the first few notes on binary sunset wow gets me every time and yeah I, I totally feel that too yeah no so there's an epic scene and it's iconic and well loved for a reason um, yeah, my pick is the medal ceremony finale of the film, which is quite self-explanatory. It's just at the very end when everyone finally changes costumes and everyone gets a medal. And uh, Not everyone. Oh, you're right. Oh, shit. Yeah, okay. Let me rephrase. Everyone apart from Chewie gets a medal. <laughs> and do the droids don't get medals either, right? I don't think so. Okay. So everyone apart from Chewie and the droids gets a medal. So basically it's speciest against everyone who isn't human, which is very mm-hmm. bad. Um, but yeah, it's a, just a beautiful, wonderful scene. And it just, for me, encapsulates that childish wonder and joy of Star Wars. And yeah, I just love the looks of pure happiness and laughter on everyone's faces and it just gives me the warm fuzzies every time so yeah it captures the general atmosphere of Star Wars to me because that original Star Wars is just so much fun and so full of life and laughter and yeah that final scene captures it yeah it's a very good ending really isn't it because at the time they didn't know if they were going to get to tell more of the story yes um so you can say in a way like Empire, Empire comes along and bulldozes all of that but then the balance is restored at the end of Return of the Jedi so um, yeah it's it's very realistic in a way that they're like celebrating this moment while also knowing that the wider conflict is still there there's still more work to do yes um, but it doesn't mean that you can't celebrate what has been accomplished because it is a huge deal yeah exactly um, yeah lovely yeah and i think my inner little girl just loves seeing leia look like so much of a regal princess because yeah she looks great yeah she looks fabulous i love it laney on twitter had another suggestion um she said han and luke in their stormtrooper outfits which is really great yes um star wars is so funny and i particularly love when han is talking to the imperial over the the com <laughs> yes <laughs> boring conversation anyway <laughs> and he blasts uh, it yeah yeah yeah, it's, it's funny how Hannah's got this like reputation as a movie when he's absolutely not at all. <laughs> yeah, he's a big goofball, really, isn't he? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a really great moment. And of course, that's when Luke and Leia meet for the first time. Yeah. Get their so. sparring off to a good start, which is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, cool. 
So let's move on to the Empire Strikes Back. So, yeah, let's do this chronologically again. So, Kirsty, let's start with you. It was really hard again. <laughs> I feel like I'm saying that every time to pick a moment from Empire. Um, because I was tempted for a long time to go with No, I Am Your Father. Mm, yeah. Iconic again. Because, yeah, that, you know, maybe that is the best moment. Um, but... I feel like there's not much more to say about it. Like, it's amazing. Everyone knows why. It still gives me chills. I think Mark Hamill's performance is fantastic in that moment. Yeah. Um, but I've ended up going with Han being in Frozen in Carbonite. Yeah. Because it's kind of like how I was saying earlier, at the end of The Last Jedi, you have this real uncertain feeling. Are things going to be okay? Um, and that's done really well here. Everything seems so hopeless. Yeah. Um, you know, you even get Han not wanting to tell Leia that he loves her too because they might never see each other again. Yeah. So he says, I know. Um, and there's that contrast between their raw, desperate humanity and, of course, Chewie and Lando and then the masked Vader and Boba Fett. Yeah. Which I think is really powerful. The lighting in that scene is so dramatic. Vader is so menacing. Yeah. James L. Jones gives a great delivery of those lines. Like, his voice is just incredible. Yeah, um, and I also love the musical transition between Han Solo and the princess, and then into the Imperial March. Yeah, no. so there's a lot. There's a lot to love there. Definitely, I think it's one of the most like aesthetically striking scenes in the whole of Star Wars. It's like I can just summon it to my mind right now, like that really like powerful blue and orange, which I know has almost become like a cliche at this point because it's a very overused color scheme in cinema now. But at the time, I can only imagine it felt really like striking and original. And I think it still holds real power and beauty. And just the like melodrama of that moment of being separated from the person you've just admitted your feelings for. And all the emotion that's infused in that moment is really wonderful. Because, yeah, I think it just perfectly tease up everything that comes later so obviously when Leia is escaping the Empire and when she's like trying desperately to chase after the ship as it's flying off of hand but it's obviously too late and that look on her face that works so well because of that scene like I love you I know because you know the depth of her love for him and oh just all the feels mm -hmm. yeah that's wonderful yeah I kind of feel like we're as close to as you can probably get in terms of traveling back in time and feeling that anxiety as you waited to see what the next chapter would be with Return of the Jedi. Whether you would see that Han was okay and managed to make it out alive, whether Han and Leia would still be a couple, because I know some people were still rooting for that point to be, uh, for Luke and Leia to be the couple. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it's kind of like... We've got a little slice of that going on in the fandom right now. Yeah, no, 100%. We're living it in real time. <laughs> Bring on Rise of Skywalker. Woo! Yeah. Um, sorry, I'm just seeing what the social media people have said. Um, yeah, yeah Raise Roses on Twitter. She agreed with me in terms of Han and Leia, I love you, I know, being a totally classic moment. Yeah. So, yeah. No, we agree with that. It's a popular choice. Um yeah, and again, because of chronology, because my moment's at the very end of the film, um, I'll just read out Steph on Twitter. 
The one that had the biggest impact on me as a kid was the scene in The Empire Strikes Back when Yoda lifts the X-Wing from the water. It captures the beauty and mysticism of the saga so efficiently, from the music to the visuals to the sparse dialogue. I don't believe it. That is why you fail. Gives me chills every time, because faith is not only the core of the Jedi way, it's also at the heart of Luke's arc, from A New Hope all the way to the end of The Last Jedi. From faith in the Force, to faith in his father, to faith in himself. That's the moment when both he and the audience, through him, realise how powerful it can be. Um, yeah, I think that's beautifully expressed. And it really gets mm-hmm. to the heart of that scene and what's going on thematically with Yoda and, and the lessons he's trying to teach Luke. Yeah, yeah, that's a really great moment. And I agree. Again, I feel like I'm saying this every time, but it's the music that makes it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's so true. Like, there's lots of great elements going on, but I think the music is just of such a quality that it's always that that gives it that final boost into transcendence. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's not a shameful thing to say at all. <laughs> um, Yeah, and my moment from The Empire Strikes Back is probably a bit of a weird one. And... Like, maybe I'm being a bit of an edgelord, so I can't see many people saying this. But, um, yeah, it's when Leia and Lando return to Bespin to rescue Luke. So, I think for me, watching this as a child, I have memories of Luke, like, hanging from the antenna at the bottom of Cloud City. And he's obviously so battered and wounded. And I remember finding that really freaky and disturbing because he seemed so disfigured and unrecognisable from the hero I knew. And... He'd obviously been through so much as well, the reveal of his father, that it almost made me feel like anxious to watch it. <laughs> I don't know. It was quite a powerful reaction when I was a child. Um, and yeah, I guess I love that return to like harmony and balance when Leia hears him through the Force and goes back for him. Because, yeah, like I need my Star Wars to offer me that resolution at the end of it and to restore order. Because... There are these highly dramatic, chaotic things that happen, but it is ultimately about restoring the peaceful, like happy medium that you need, even when it is still like tense and a bit up in the air as it is at the end of The Empire Strikes Back. So, yeah, it means a lot to me that you still have that like beautiful moment of connection and like recovery and reprieve after all that drama, and. I especially love that moment on the Falcon when Luke hears his father and is obviously not resolved yet, but he also doesn't respond to him with anger. He responds to Mm -hmm. him with like curiosity almost and like he wants that connection. And that for me was a great, great setup of the next film because yeah, he obviously accepts this familial connection and he wants to get to know this man despite how monstrous he is and despite what he's done and yeah just so much going on i love it all yeah vader's immediately humanized for luke in that moment which is really powerful because as you say a few seconds before he was like no that's impossible and willingly falling down that shaft to escape him yeah rather than make the choice to go with him because he's that good um and I do kind of love the foreshadowing. It's unintentional in the in the moment, obviously, but you can wreck on it in your mind that Leia and Luke are connecting because they have that familial connection. And and then Luke connects with Vader because that's his father too. So yeah, one of my big 
issues with the original trilogy and it's just because they were making it up as they went along and they couldn't decide until the last movie that Leia was indeed his sister and therefore Vader's other child is that you didn't get much between them um, and they've repaired it in some ways with books like Bloodline um, but yeah it always it, to me it always hints at the potential that there, there could have been this connection between Leia and Vader as well yeah, I need to find some good like AU fan fiction when that happens because that would have been such an interesting avenue to explore. It would have led to a completely different film for Return of the Jedi, of course. But yeah, interesting nonetheless. Um, right, okay. So with Return of the Jedi, I think it really seems like almost everyone who chipped in about Return of the Jedi is talking about the same scene. Um pretty much, although I think other things are brought into it to some extent. Um, would you like to surprise everyone with the shock and reveal of what this scene is, Kirsty? Yeah, surprisingly, it's Vader's redemption. Um, because that sums up Star Wars for a lot of us. Yes. So there are lots of really great moments in Return of the Jedi, so it's easy and difficult to pick this one in a way. Um, for me, it just it gets me in the feels every time. Like that to me is the beating heart of Star Wars. Um, yeah, uh, Lou says on Twitter, and I completely agree with her. It's the line from Vader: "Just once, let me look on you with my own eyes." I watched it again last night, and I was in tears. Um, Luke's atonement with his father, that love and acceptance—it's so clear, it's unequivocal. Um, despite everything that Vader has done. Um, it's that real passing of the older generation, the sense that everything is right in the galaxy once more, even though it's tinged with this sadness that you have to let go. And also there's that feeling above all that anyone is capable of making good choices and finding their way back to the light, and that is Star Wars. Yeah. Um, and I know it's technically a different moment, but to me they're kind of sandwiched together um, when Luke is back on Endor and sees Anakin's Force Ghost, whether it's Sebastian Shaw or Aiden Christensen, whatever you prefer, um, that really shows that uh, his friends have accepted him back as well because he's there with Yoda and Obi-Wan after everything that's happened. So it's very powerful. Yeah, that's really beautiful. And I think there's something especially poignant about Vader, this fearsome monster, like finding that he's actually just like this frail like seriously damaged old man underneath all the armor it's like thinking back to that moment in 1983 when people were seeing the film for the first time i can only imagine that like moment like playing really powerfully to people because people must have built up this image in their head of what vader might be like under there and i think there was the general understanding that he was deformed or scarred in some way which he was but really he does just seem like this like old man this loving father and i i think it's a really beautiful moment of demystification and humanization which yeah like like you said Kirsty, it just makes me tear up whenever i watch it i it never loses its power for me and it's just wonderful mm -hmm. um i'm gonna read out what trixie on twitter said um even though she's talking about the same moment but she does it really well um, she says, oh, actually, this is a little bit different. She starts off um, talking about the two scenes that stand out the most for me, both from Return of the Jedi. The scene where Luke and Leia have that quiet conversation on the bridge because it's so personal and so revealing of their characters. Um, and the scene at the end where Luke is being zapped and calls out for his father and saved. 
For a long time, those two moments represented what was at the heart of the show. The idea that there's this whole huge galactic conflict, but it's what happens when we make individual choices that is really the point, so to speak, of the fantasy. Plus that second moment especially is one where it isn't Luke's job to be set on fire to further a man's story. If I can take a detour to the salt planet for 10 seconds. (laughs) Um, Vader slash Anakin decides because he can't look away. He makes a choice. That's powerful to me. Yeah, that's really beautifully expressed. Yeah, I think that's always an interesting way to look at it because there there are some double standards going on when people talk about Luke's strength as a character and how much agency he has. He does, yeah. but sometimes you have female characters like Rey, for example, who has her own agency and can believe in the goodness of people, but it's received slightly differently from some fans because they believe that she's being manipulated or tricked or isn't really given that sense of freedom that male characters have are um and it's not always true you know sometimes female characters are being fridged that those are issues for a reason but it doesn't mean that you have to take that every time uh, a female character takes a chance on a man who is making what we would consider poor choices yeah um sometimes that's just the story and it can be done really well yeah i think there's sometimes an assumption of women needing protection and it's like a paternalistic type thing isn't it it's like Mm. oh she needs someone to look out for her and guide her in a way that would never even cross people's minds for a male hero like luke and yeah it, it really does stand out when you see like scenes like that and how people respond to them so differently um mm-hmm. But yeah, I hit in the context of this scene, I also wanted to bring in another quote from George Lucas, which is again from The Making of Revenge of the Sith um, by Rinsler. So this is the Lucas quote. It really has to do with learning. Children teach you compassion. They teach you to love unconditionally. Anakin can't be redeemed for all the pain and suffering he's caused. He doesn't right the wrongs, but he stops the horror. The end of the saga is simply Anakin saying, I care about this person, regardless of what it means to me. I will throw away everything that I have, everything that I have grown to love, primarily the Emperor, and throw away my life to save this person. And I'm doing this because he has faith in me, loves me despite all the horrible things I've done. I broke his mother's heart, but he still cares about me, and I can't let that die. Oh my god, that's making me emotional just reading it. It's like, yeah. yeah. It brings up a really good point because we don't expect the entire galaxy to forgive Vader for all he's done. That's really not the story, it's not the point, it's about Luke and Vader as that personal relationship because it's Luke's hero's journey that we're following and him integrating the shadow and accepting and loving Vader for what he is. Yeah. That's, that's what matters. Yeah, and it drives home what Star Wars is ultimately about, which is these small human relationships. Like, the wider conflict in Star Wars is ultimately not that important. Like, obviously, it's played up in the film as, like, being a big set piece and, like, all oh, we need to destroy the space station, what, whatever. Like, it's played up in the film itself as being important. But that's ultimately not what you take away from the film. You don't leave Return of the Jedi thinking, oh, wow, the Rebellion won. That was so epic. You leave thinking, wow, Luke saved his father. That's really moving and that really speaks to me on an emotional level. And yeah, that's why I love Star Wars, basically. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's fine. 
Right, okay, now we take another leap through time as we move on to the sequel trilogy. So, for The Force Awakens, what is your pick, Kirsty? Uh, it's the interrogation scene. Mm-hmm. But it was hard to pick this because it's not the beginning of Rey and Kylo's relationship. You have that interaction between them as they meet in the forest. Yes. Which is... Is, a, is also a favourite for me because it's so loaded with this archetypal fairy tale imagery. Yes. Uh, which we've talked about ad nauseum. Um, but yeah, that really kind of sets up the subtext of what this is kind of going to be. But the interrogation scene is where we actually watch them both metaphorically unmask for each other. Yeah. Um, Ray peeling back those layers of Kylo. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, there's this there's energy there. Um, there's a power subversion and his shock at meeting his match her shock at realizing what she can do it is the awakening yeah um and you're suddenly (laughs) it's suddenly like oh wow okay these characters know more about each other than anyone else in this entire trilogy at this point and they've only just met so all of a sudden there's this incredible intimacy they know each other's deepest darkest fears They've seen each other's thoughts. They're supposed to be enemies, but how can they be at this point when they they know each other on this level in a yeah. way that the average person can't? So, of course, going through for the rest of the movie and a good chunk into The Last Jedi, and of course by the end of The Last Jedi, yes, they're enemies, but this is where the conflict comes from because they know each other too, and she knows his conflict, and he knows her desires yeah. um, and fears and what she hasn't shared with anyone else. So there's this definite feeling after you've watched the scene for the first time that this is going to be the key dynamic of the trilogy and how much potential there is for the evolution in their friend, um, friendship, relationship. <laughs> Definitely not a friendship. <laughs> We're space buddies. Yeah. No. Yeah, no, I think that's all beautifully expressed, Kirsty. And yeah, I, I won't sound like a broken, broken record by like going at length, but... I completely agree with you. Um, I think what I also love about the interrogation is all those really thrilling like ebbs and flows in terms of who has the power in any given moment. Because obviously at the start of the scene, like Kylo is framed as the like all-powerful interrogator and Ray's helpless and tied down. But then as it goes on... Like the layers get more and more peeled back and at first it seems like Kylo is removing the mask almost as like a seduction like almost as if he's trying to like set her more at ease but then he's also exposing his vulnerabilities through that and Rey takes advantage and she seizes on it and she uses the information she gets from him to take control in the situation and yeah just that like tension between them in terms of who has the power in any given moment and how they wrestle with that and like feel about to to learn what they can and can't do in that scenario it's endlessly fascinating and it's sort of like a coda for the entire relationship so yeah it's really cool yeah it turns out to be incredibly empowering for ray because by the end she's realizing that she has these powers and they're ultimately what gets her out of that situation when she realizes she she can turn that on the stormtroopers um and it all leads up to their moment in the forest which i know is going to be your favorite moment that you talk about so yeah it's all connected um what i really love about the force awakens is that this is like the through line despite only being a handful of scenes 
it really stands out as like, oh, okay, this is going to be the core dynamic going forward. It's not so much about the older characters. This is where all the potential is for the heart of the trilogy. Yeah, so as Kirsty has so kindly set me up for, my pick for, like, favourite scene is really the whole fight in the snow. Like, I love the whole thing, including the bit with Finn and Kylo, but to narrow it down a bit more, I specifically love it from the moment when we see the lightsaber trembling in the snow to when it goes shooting over into Rey's hand and that burning homestead theme just kicks in and, oh, God, it's so effective. (laughs) It just gets me every time. And, again, with cliche, but as a female Star Wars fan, just the power of that moment... I've seen her claim that weapon and be like, yeah, let's do this. Like, it can't be understated, basically. It was just such a wonderful, wonderful moment. And it just gave me such a thrill whenever I saw it in the cinema. It still gives me a thrill now, but especially in the cinema where you've got the surround sound of that marvellous score. It was just next level stuff. It was great. Yeah, um, the choice to use Burning Homestead there is really wonderful as well because that was the moment when Luke accepted the call. At that point, he wasn't ready. He told Ben that he couldn't go to Alderaan. Um, but then he realises there's nothing left for him on Tatooine. And Ray in that moment as well feels like there's nothing left for me to lose here. I need to, to get my way out of this situation. So I'm going to finally truly accept that I have these powers and this destiny um, even as she'd rejected the saber earlier with Maz. Yep, exactly. It's very rich in meaning, the choice of that music. It's not just, oh, that sounds cool, let's use it. It's like, no, this evokes a particular stage in a character's life and the fact they're about to embark on the next stage of their journey. And yeah, so it's perfectly deployed, basically. And yeah, I also love what that scene turns into in terms of the fight between Rey and Kylo, because... Again, I feel like you get so much character just in the way they fight. You have Rey being all like savage and sloppy and using the lightsaber like she'd use her staff. Whereas Kylo is much more like elegant and like calculated. Like he's obviously a bit at a disadvantage because he's wounded, but he's also holding back. And you can read so much character stuff into how they're both using their respective weapons. And then you get that wonderful, intense moment on the cliff edge where he is like pleading with her and saying you need a teacher I can show you the ways of the force and it's obviously like a stupid nerdy offer that she's never going to agree to but I just love that desperation it's actually very Anakin it's obviously not him like saying you're in my very soul tormenting me but it's kind of said with a similar frenzied urgency I guess that I don't know I just get a kick out of it and yeah then who can't love like Rey kicking Kylo Ren back into the snow and just prowling around him like a tiger it's just wonderful yeah yeah there's that desperation from him it's almost like a frantic yeah I don't know what else to offer you now so I'll offer to teach you uh and (laughs) turns out she doesn't need a teacher at least she not not in this moment um and she certainly has no interest in being around him (laughs) understandably (laughs) yeah so it's quite humorous really as well as being emotionally intense yeah no it balances lots of different strands and yeah you can certainly view it that way (laughs) yeah i mean he's just fascinated with her at this point but it's clearly not thinking clearly yeah because why she would agree again it comes back to that line from anakin (laughs) you're asking me to be rational (laughs) 
That is something I can't do as a Skywalker boy. So, <laughs> here we go. Echoes through the time. Oh my god. I'd love it if Anakin kept a diary when he was a young man and caught in Padme and he like wrote down like some of his lines. And then Kylo got a hold of the of the same diary and he's like, genius! Total genius! <laughs> Very relatable. Yeah. No, you got to love it. Um, right. So then we have a listener email from Jenny and she explains her favourite moment in The Force Awakens in quite a lot of detail and I think it's really nicely stated so I'll read out the bulk of it. I think my current favourite Star Wars moment is in The Force Awakens when Mars is talking to Rey after she's found Anakin's lightsaber and she says, The belonging you seek is not behind you, it is ahead. I am no Jedi, but I know the Force. It moves through and surrounds every living thing. Close your eyes. Feel it. The light. It's always been there. It will guide you. Lupita Nyong'o delivers this so beautifully, and I literally cried in the theatre, because, simple as they are, these lines are so profound to me. I can hear the love and the reverence in Lupita's voice. So as a moviegoer in that moment, it was something I connected strongly with because I, in turn, have such love and reverence for this franchise. The Force is conceptualised here with grace and feeling, and I realised that the Force became an actual character for me in that moment. It's gone through phases that spoke to the overarching themes of each trilogy. In the original trilogy, it was mystical and unfamiliar. It was out of control in the prequel trilogy. And now in the sequel trilogy, it's having a moment, a renaissance maybe. But like Mars says, it's always there, which is reassuring and grounding, and speaks a little to the real-world fan and me. We don't have to be a Jedi either to know the Force. And now I'm realising that I basically had a come-to-Jesus moment in the movie theatre, or a come-to-the-Force moment, if you rather. <laughs> so yeah, I thought I was really nicely put, and is also a moment I really, really like. I think I especially like it because it's that moment of receiving spiritual guidance and support from an older female figure which is new to Star Wars and I think it does feel genuinely fresh and powerful and yeah I love that moment of connection between Mars and Rey. Yeah it's something that's quite simple um, just having these two female characters interact but it's simple and yet we don't get it very often. Yeah exactly. Um, and we, we hadn't had it in Star Wars before so yeah, it's it's really beautiful. And I, I do definitely agree that in the sequel trilogy especially, the Force feels more like a character with its own agency um, and interests because you can feel it's kind of pushing and pulling on these characters' decisions and not t- to the detriment of their agency. Yeah. Um, but just it's got that Greek mythological aspect to it where there's something um, higher than them at play here, um, connecting them pulling them apart when they're fighting and like you know making a big crack in the earth's surface that they can't end things there that there's still this unfinished history Uh, there's there's so much more that they need to to go through together um yeah and and the connection in the last jedi as well so yeah it's really wonderful yeah so well handled um, right, okay. And then we finally get to the last film in the saga so far, which is The Last Jedi. So, Kirsty? Uh, for me, again, incredibly difficult to pick one. I went through all of the four scenes and I was thinking a lot about 
Luke scenes too, because I think this is Mark Hamill's most amazing performance as Luke Skywalker. I absolutely love it. Um, and I really, really love the Luke and Yoda scene, but we'll get to that later because someone talked about it on Twitter, thankfully. Nice. Um, so I've ended up picking Ray's cave scene. Ooh, um, I like it. Because this, to me, is pure heroine's journey stuff, which I've been really hoping to see in this movie. Yes. Um, because it's set up really well in that scene where Ray and Luke are talking about everything that she can feel in the Force. So there's the light and the darkness and Luke clutching his pearls and telling her she went straight to the dark. Um, and how that's built into her choice to do this because it's kind of a defiance of his words. There's that vulnerability and bravery there of her going it alone, going into this cave, um, falling into that water, fishing herself out, even though she doesn't seem like a strong swimmer. Um, and then just being like, like, no, I'm here I really need to know this stuff. Um, she's trying to make peace with something inside herself. Yeah. Um, and it's not that she doesn't need anyone else to do that because after she's had the experience, she's then sharing it with someone. Um, and the use of that voiceover is incredible because there's that real power behind realizing who she's sharing that incredibly painful and intimate experience with. Uh, mm. Someone who's meant to be her enemy um, yeah. And the reveal, of course, is in that transition to the next scene when he responds and we see him. Yes, um, that's so effective. Which, oh my god! Which I won't, I won't talk about that too much because that's your favorite moment. But mm. I just wanted to, like, to me, they're really connected. Um, yeah. And that there's that whole extended sequence because, of course, even before the cave scene, there's that other force bond scene between Ray and Kylo where he's kind of giving his perspective on what happened between him and Luke. So it all works really well together. Yes. Um, and it's, yeah, all incredibly important for Ray's character development. Yeah. No, like, I really love that mirror cave scene because you really get this feeling that Ray is, like, just experimenting and, like, appreciating her own, like, power of the situation and... Like, even though she has all these questions, it's like, maybe the answers are actually from within myself. And, like, I don't think she accepts that fully in that scene because it's a lot to take in. And it's very traumatic and related to this question that she's had hanging over her her entire life. Because, really, the question is probably, why would they leave me? But like that question is sort of converted in her traumatized like ch child's mind to like oh when are they coming back who are they which are probably more palatable questions and she confronts the question she thinks she has in that mirror cave and yeah the answers are probably what she knew but not what she wanted and yeah it's sort of that tension between Ray this is what you can be in terms of this power and this immense potential in the force but this is also what is the actual situation which is that your parents aren't anyone special and they're not that important and yeah it's a great character moment for her yeah it's just really special to see her on despite the fact that she's yes choosing to share it later with a male character but in the moment it's Ray by herself, as you say, trying things out, clicking her fingers, looking around. Um, just the bravery of being there and 
being willing to to kind of go on this quest to figure things out. Um, it's just really powerful to see that in a Star Wars movie, honestly. Like I'm still I'm still not over the gift that is Rey. Um, if they realize how much they've done for female fans here. She's written really well. Daisy gives an amazing performance. I know not everyone connects with her, but we do. So Yeah, no, exactly. For us, I think it's marvellously textured and relatable. And like I find her incredibly empathetic. And I really feel what she's feeling in a lot of those situations. And yeah, it's amazing how like a character in like a big old space movie can transcend the extraordinary circumstances of that setting to just feel very real and very human which i really find ray does and that definitely comes across in the mirror cave scene Mm -hmm. um yeah and so then for my pick as kirsty pointed out it segues very nicely (laughs) off from the mirror cave because yeah my favorite scene begins with ray telling kylo although you don't realize that to begin with about what happened in the mirror cave and yeah it was such a shock for me the first time in the cinema seeing how that was handled because it's like why is ray talking over this and like the tense that she's using is really weird this is very strange what are you doing ryan and then obviously when they have the reveal of them having the conversation i was like oh it was a really fantastic thing to experience. Did you know to expect that, Kirsty, when you saw the film? No. Um, I knew that the hut scene would happen at some point because we'd had that spoiler pretty early on um, that Ray and Kylo were going to have a conversation in the hut and then Luke walks in and he doesn't like what they're doing. But I didn't know it was going to be that moment. And I think you're supposed to think when she's talking that maybe she's sharing it with Luke, even mm. though their relationship isn't great at this point either. Yeah but she's definitely not. Yeah. And then, of course, when you, when you realise who she's talking to, then the conversation takes a more intimate um, thread where she's not just talking about her experiences down there, but that she believes that he can come back, it's not too late, and then they make that connection. Yeah. No, and I think, for me, it's my favourite scene just because it represents the most emotionally honest either of them are with each other in the whole film. And it's like this centre point of perfect balance and connection and communion between those two characters. Because prior to that point, the Force Bond scenes, they're always quite fraught. And Ray's usually accusing him of something or angry with him or upset, completely justifiably and understandably, given what he's done. But there's always that like tension and antagonism. And then after the Hut scene, you kind of find the character's talking about different things there's always that like element of disconnect or misunderstanding going on but I think in the hut scene they're both completely honest and everything that happens between them is true and beautiful and that's why it's so powerful and moving because when he says you're not alone he's genuinely trying to comfort her and offer her support and like empathizing with her situation and I think that comes like from a completely honest place of wanting to help her and caring about her and not wanting to see her be upset and I think it's exactly true the opposite way around when Ray tells the same thing to him neither are you and yeah then you obviously get the hand touch scene sexy as hell like closest thing to a sex scene in Star Wars and 
Yeah, my only regret is that Luke bursts in to ruin it all. <laughs> God, monster. And that is kind of hilarious. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it's great. And it's very meme-worthy. So like, we've got certain things to thank Luke for in that moment. But it's like, oh, come on, just let it run a bit longer. <laughs> yeah, it's really powerful because they're obviously having these visions of a future together. Yeah. Uh, at least Ray is. It's still kind of ambiguous because I think in some of the extra material, Kylo's seeing the past and that's how he learns about her parents. Um, but either way, the Force, again, is doing something here. It's telling them telling them something that, that, that Ray then acts on. So that is romantic as well. Yeah, exactly. The sense of a grand destiny, like kind of steering them in a certain way. We have a lot of messages from people talking about the throne room scene. Yes. Uh, understandably, because it's a fantastic moment. <laughs> yes. uh, so we'll just read these all out together and then maybe have a discussion about it. Mm-hmm. So uh, Maria says, I have to say the throne room fight because basically that scene made me a Star Wars fan along with the rest of the movie. I had pretty much zero knowledge or interest in Star Wars before that, but I knew I had to watch the movie when I saw that video. Um, Tammy on Twitter says it's the throne room scene in TLJ it's so powerful my heart leapt upon first viewing and it still makes me burst with joy every time Um, Kate Bennett says whole throne room scene to be honest but especially when I realised what Kylo was doing with a double lightsaber turn and then he ignites it and kills his true enemy cue Ray's hand going up and catching the lightsaber the music everywhere chills an entire audience whooping that moment made me the Star Wars fan I am today Wow, those are such great yeah. tweets. I love hearing about those experiences. And wow, that scene certainly seems to be like a come to Jesus thing for quite a few people. <laughs> it's like, this scene made me a Star Wars fan. Like, that's power. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it is really fantastic the way it's set up with oh, Snoke's yeah. hubris and you're wondering what the hell Kylo's going to do and Rey is in this really vulnerable position but she's still pleading with Kylo, she has faith in him. And it pays off. <laughs> At least in that moment. Yeah. Um, And then that incredible action scene where clearly Daisy and Adam worked so hard. Yeah. No, it's just a series of wonderful, wonderful moments all building upon each other seamlessly. Um, Because, yeah, I think I'll never forget the thrill of just being in that room and watching Snoke do that, like, gloating villain speech as, like, the lightsaber starts to, like, ease towards him. And... Yeah, just when like the lightsaber ignites and it takes almost like a few seconds for you to catch up to what's really happened. Like logically, you know what's probably happened, but there's just that glorious, glorious moment when Ray's hand shoots up from the bottom of the frame to grab the lightsaber. And oh my God, it's just so wonderful and epic. And yeah, The Last Jedi just has so many amazing moments. It was easily the hardest film to pick a single moment for, to be honest. Mm-hmm. yeah because in that moment the characters turn around and look at each other and it's like they can't believe what's happening either yeah exactly it's like this is too good to be true it's like <laughs> yeah it is, is guys. <laughs> you're kind of not quite on the same page but get out of that situation for now save your skins and then have a conversation yeah a heartbreaking conversation um yeah uh oh i don't know how to say this username J6 on Tumblr. Oh, um, yeah. Like, I have no idea how to say that either. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. she's. They say, um, my favourite moment in the saga is Ben's proposal after the fight. 
that was so badass, the ceiling was burning and there was so much angst. When Ray says, please don't go this way, she's crying, I die every time. <laughs> Same. Yeah, I feel you, girl. <laughs> I'm assuming yeah. girl you might be a guy, sorry. Um, but yeah, oh, the pain, the pain of that moment when they ha- actually talk to each other and realise they're on different pages. Oh, it's heartbreaking. But beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's heartbreaking for both of them. That's what's really great. Because, yes, Ray's crying, but Kylo's pretty close. Yeah. Um, And he says, please. Um, He kind of knows, you can tell at that point that she's probably not going to agree to it. Yeah. Because of what she's been saying. Um, But they have nothing left. And I think Ryan said in the commentary, his pleas was very important because it's so human and desperate. Yeah. Um, and I think that's key to a lot of the debate that's been going on since the movie came out as to whether Kylo was manipulating her. He's obviously quite cruel in the way he deploys certain information. He knows it's going to hurt her. Yeah. Um, and I'm not excusing it by any means. He's still a <laughs> He's still making terrible mistakes. He's making terrible choices. But you can see why, because he's that desperate in that moment for Ray to stay with him. He thinks that's the way for them to rule the galaxy together. And of course, he's going to learn that it's not. But you have to have that second movie before the third movie. So Yeah, exactly. You've got to have the pain and the suffering before the resolution. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> it's very upsetting. Um, Right. So I'll read out another message. So this is from Gwendy85 on Tumblr. My favourite Star Wars moment to date, and I know a lot will probably say this, but it has to be the first Force Bond scene in The Last Jedi. It's because of the feeling I got when I first realised that it was the Force Bond made canon. I have never felt that kind of surprise and exhilaration before, and I don't think I ever will again. To see a fanfiction theory come to life on screen is beyond my wildest imagination, and I will never forget how I almost screamed in the theatre that day. <laughs> oh. Yeah, that was a really great moment because for people outside of our corner of fandom, they might not realise, but um, people had speculated quite early on, pretty much as soon as The Force Awakens came out, that especially in the interrogation scene and then kind of how they connect in the duel, um, that Rey and Kylo had formed a kind of Force connection. Yeah. Um, And so that was a very common trope in fan fiction. Yes. um, Especially early on. Uh, so yeah it was I agree really cool to see that actually pan out um, and see that Ryan had seen something similar within their interactions to what we saw in The Force Awakens that made him decide to go in that direction with the story and and their relationship yeah no it was incredibly rewarding and yeah I kind of feel like in the run up to The Last Jedi so much of that period is about moderating expectations moderating expectations (laughs) And then we get the actual movie and it's like, holy shit, this is more than I could have ever dreamed of. <laughs> it's like crazy. Yeah. But I think it's also because uh, of how it ended as well. It's like it's still left up in the air. So it's probably also good for people to maybe not speculate that they were going to be running off happily ever after after the end of the second movie. Yes. So, no, perfectly probably, reasonable. Probably the best route in the end. Um, and Summer and Courtney... Um, have said that this is obviously not a moment in the movie itself but their highlights were the release of the teaser poster for The Last Jedi Celebration which we've talked about a lot because 
we agree with them that was really wonderful yeah because um more than anything at that point even more so than the teaser that they showed at the same panel to us it kind of embodied the crux of the story yeah um i think even before that poster came out we'd been talking and our corner of the fandom again uh, in general had been saying that you know ray's story was going to kind of take place with her having these two relationships with luke skywalker and ben solo and ending up in the end kind of forging her own path and identity um based on something that you could call like a middle road approach based on her own experiences and her interactions with those characters and what she learned and that is kind of what happened and what that poster ended up alluding to yeah oh god we got so much mileage out of that poster it was the best like it's just such beautiful iconic imagery and yeah it's a shame to me sometimes that they have to include so many different actors and elements on the main theatrical poster because it's like oh but minimalist it works so well it's like yeah I, I like a nice simple poster but like yeah I'm glad we get the teaser posters as well as the big theatrical ones basically because let's face it the teaser posters are often the best yeah it's good to have both and it would really, I know they're not going to do this, but ideally you could have one of those kinds of posters for the various subplots so that all the characters would be represented and you'd kind of have the summary of how each of those would go. Especially for The Last Jedi, you did kind of have uh, these dynamics. You know, you can look at Finn's story, for example, and you'd have Rose and DJ. Yeah. Um, because they're offering alternate points of view and it's like, which way is Finn going to go? Or is he going to form his own ideas? And for, for Poe, it could be Leia and Holdo. So, yeah, there's a lot of symmetry there. Yeah. No, there were those three trios. Yeah. Not trio in the traditional sense, but still three trios. So, yeah, what's going on? Um, then we have Raising a Rebel on Twitter. One of mine is Yoda and Luke's conversation in The Last Jedi because it inspired me to start Raising a Rebel. I still cry every time I watch it. Oh, and congratulations. I love your pod. Oh, thank you. That's very kind. Thank you. Yeah, that is an amazing scene. <laughs> yeah. No, that is beautiful. Like, I love it's that perfect. particular line where it's like, um, failure, the greatest teacher is. Or I, Again, I keep on misquoting things, but that's the spirit <laughs> of it, you know, because it's true. That's why it's so effective because, yeah, 100%, you need to fail at things. So you can figure out what went wrong and then try and fix it so you can succeed. And yeah, I love it. Because I want my wisdom from Star Wars. Where else am I expected to get? Yeah, and the whole we are what they grow beyond thing. Oh, That's especially yeah. poignant for people who are raising children or if they're teachers. Like that really is, as Yoda says, the burden of all masters. Um, because you have to look ahead. You have to recognize your own place within that generational story. Yeah. Um, and that's Luke's conflict within this that he kind of has to let go. He has to be more self forgiving. Um, because yes, he's Luke Skywalker and had this responsibility in the galaxy, but that doesn't mean that he's not gonna struggle. Yeah. Um, because that's that's that conflict of the dark and the light side. Once you beat the dark side, it's not like it's beaten forever. It's a choice you make every single day. Yeah. So he could stand to forgive himself a bit there. And I like that The Last Jedi has that moment of like self-realization and like, oh, that's my place for like an older character as well. 
because yeah Star Wars is primarily about young people going on these like heroes slash heroines journeys but yeah there is also room for those lessons for other generations this is not like Luke is the protagonist but he's still respected by the story and given a real place in the narrative and conferred that like importance to be like yeah Luke even though he's older he's still learning and there's still stuff for this narrative to instill within that character I think that's really cool yeah of course because part of that is that he's positioned within Ray's story as the mentor figure and you know her whole confronting the powerless father aspect yeah certain obligations almost that his character has to fulfill in terms of complementing her arc yes but there's also a real reverence for the character that ryan displays in terms of thinking no i'm actually going to give this character character development and if you watch return of the jedi you wonder where he can go yeah but 30 years is a long time a lot's happened clearly yes um so they really did something special with this character yeah um and i'm very curious to see how things are going to wind up in nine now Luke has made that incredible sacrifice, looked into the binary sunset at the end of TLJ and kind of had that look of peace and satisfaction on his face as he disappeared. Yeah. Um, how is his ghost going to be now? Yeah. Um, because in the teaser for The Rise of Skywalker, obviously, it's again the same kind of thing that he's recognising that it's not his fight anymore. It's Ray slash Kylo's or whoever he's talking to. Yeah. Um. So it's, yeah, it's this acceptance that this is what things have been building towards for all these years. Um, and those various generations are kind of distilled in this new generation that we have now. Yeah, exactly. Right. And then we have another email from Faith. She says some lovely stuff about the podcast. Thank you, Faith. Um, and yeah, this is what she singles out. Um, it's kind of quite general to Kylo in the sequel trilogy. But yeah, I'll just read it. I really love all the shots of Kylo's gloves, especially in the new teaser. It's such an unusual thing when you think about it, focusing on gloved hands, like a western gunslinger standoff at times, to suggest a character, a suppression, or context of emotional distance, and let's just say it, a sensuality that is just for the grown-ups. It's very clever. Kylo laying himself bare for Rey in the hut was all the more poignant and layered. Truly beautiful. And don't get me started on the other scenes. How can anyone deny what is behind this? I'm hoping JJ will carry this theme through. The teaser definitely suggests this. What do you think? Um, I'd, I'd imagine so. Kylo's definitely wearing his gloves again. And I'd like to think that JJ has given thought to the meaning of those gloves and what Kylo's wearing them says. It may not be as prominent a theme as it was in, say, The Last Jedi, because in The Last Jedi, I'd say it was pretty critical. Like, the scene where he takes off the glove in the heart in The Last Jedi, that's so loaded. I don't think you can get more loaded than that. So, JJ might bring it down a bit, tone it down, because there might be a bit too much for the children in the audience. No, no, we're teasing, but yeah. Like, we will see, because it is definitely a symbol that's present across the sequel trilogy, but... I think Ryan made more Ryan made more of it than JJ did. So it remains to be seen how much it will be present in The Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, I think for Ryan's story, because he had Kylo destroy the mask pretty early on, the gloves were kind of a stand-in for that. And they were a really great stand-in because 
for people who watch romantic period dramas, gloves are obviously a staple and hands touching hands <gasps> is <gasps> scandalous. Yes. Um, yeah. That's skin on skin. So um, it's also very pointed when he offers his hand to Ray at the, the end after the throne room scene, his gloves are on once more. Yeah. So it's like, is this Kylo? Is this Ben? I think that's kind of what it's supposed to convey as a visual shorthand. Um, and I do think in the teaser, there's an element of that, that he's got the gloves back on. and uh, We don't see his face. Um, and we know the mask is going to be back in some form, although we don't know how often he's going to be wearing it for. So far, we've kind of just seen Kylo unmasked, aside from on merch packaging and that leaked poster and that sort of thing. Um, so I think they are supposed to be kind of a hand-in-hand uh, stand-in almost for the mask. Yeah. They they convey the same thing, basically, just in different ways. Yeah. Um, but I can see, like, if we did get a redeemed Ben Solo at the end, I wouldn't be surprised if he wasn't wearing them again there. Yeah. No, same. That's a really good observation. Like, it makes complete sense now you've said it, but it hadn't occurred to me. So I'm glad you made that point. <laughs> well, I just, yeah, I think Ryan did think quite deeply about hands as um, symbols throughout his movie. Yes. Um, which doesn't mean that JJ won't, but obviously from film to film, they're going to have slightly different motifs and there might be something entirely different that JJ uses that is just as interesting as Ryan, um, just in a different way. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, there are a few more tweets from people who, like me, were kind of being greedy and didn't want to pick just one. <laughs> so I'll read those out quickly. Um, Sanjin Kim on Twitter. So many good moments. I'm going to cheat a bit and list favorite moments from select media. Um, episode one, Jewel of the Fates. Totally agree. That's amazing. Episode four, Battle of Yavin. Episode eight, Battle of Crate. And Star Wars Rebels, A World Between Worlds, that entire episode, which I agree, is really, really good. And mm. super interesting in light of what we got with Palpatine uh, for episode nine. I'm going to have to go back and watch that again. Yes. Um, Random Alive on Twitter says, Yoda training Luke, Lady Ahsoka using the Force to turn off lightsabers, Maul, just Maul. <laughs> <laughs> That's very greedy. <laughs> yeah. I do not blame them, but yeah. No, Maul's a very so, yeah. cool character. So to sum up, everyone has a lot of favourite Star Wars moments. Yeah, that's very true. Um, And yeah, sort of like to wind this conversation down and bring it to a close, I have another George Lucas quote, which is not in the notes, so it's going to be a surprise even to Kirsty. Again, it's from the making of Revenge of the Sith, because that's the book I have open in front of me right now. So, George Lucas. The Star Wars saga is like a symphony, which has recurring themes. You have one theme orchestrated in a particular way in place, which then comes back orchestrated as a minor theme somewhere else. There are these little threads running through things that are constantly turning events on their head. You see two people confronting the same things with different ends. It's a rhythm. I like the idea of seeing something from different perspectives. An advantage I have in this particular situation is that I have literally 12 hours to tell a story. It has the epic quality of following one person from the time he's nine years old to the time he dies. It's Anakin's story, but obviously there are many other characters in that story, his children, his best friend, and their stories carry through. So this isn't just a tune, it's a symphony. When you do it as a symphony, I think, it actually becomes beautiful. So yeah, I love that quote from George, and I think it's a nice way to sort of sum up this conversation 
because one of the things we noted quite a lot as we were talking about things is how they mirror and echo things that happen in the other movies. So you can't really talk about a moment in Star Wars in isolation, really, although we just did, so I'm sort of contradicting myself. But you kind of need to understand every single moment in the context of not only its own movie, but also its own trilogy, and now even the entire saga, because there are these reverberations and these sort of like same themes repeating, but taking different paths and evolving in different ways. And is one of the most fascinating things about Star Wars to me. And yeah, I just really enjoyed having this conversation because I think it really brought that home. Yeah, I know there are people out there who feel quite differently, um, but I'm sure you agree that when you hear George talking about it being Anakin's story, and then of course the story of his descendants, I really feel like that does still come into play in the sequel trilogy. Oh yeah. I feel like George's vision has been really respected. They might not have taken every single one of his ideas for the plot, but in terms of overall theme and how they're connecting things, the connection that Kylo has to his grandfather and the weight of that legacy, um, you see that in The Force Awakens, The Last Jedi, how he makes choices based on how he perceives the past and in terms of like wanting to destroy it, but also being beholden to it. And then going into episode nine, especially with Palpatine being back, I really feel like it's going to connect things full circle for Anakin's story. And not in a way that means it's just Anakin's story and no one else matters, but that all of these characters, they're playing chess in a world where Anakin's choices were the most important in a way because he was the chosen one. Um, yeah, I just can't wait to see how it's going to be resolved. Yeah, no, it's all so exciting. And yeah, it's like so many different threads all finally converging. And yeah, it's going to be very exciting to revisit this concept of favourite moments once we have the rise of Skywalker because... I'm sure we'll be doing exactly the same thing and comparing whatever the highlights of that film are to those earlier moments that it kind of like refracts and like has its own take on. Yeah, I think it's going to recontextualize a lot and hopefully for the better because I never thought that I could look at the binary sunset moment, for example, and feel even more deeply about it than I had since childhood. But after The Last Jedi, I really do. Yeah. Um, it's so much more beautiful now and it was already perfect. So hopefully, if things are done with care and reverence, and I think that they will be, um, episode nine will bring even more of that delicious fruit. So, <laughs> Yeah, no, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, so great. Thank you, Kirsty. Thank you, Rachel. And thank you, <laughs> listeners. Yes. So many good suggestions. Yeah, no, it's really fun and it really added to it to have everyone contribute. So yeah, we'll definitely have to do something like this again. Yeah, so thank you so much everyone to listen in for this, our 100th episode, which we're pretty stoked about, to be honest. It's really cool. Um, and yeah, if you've been listening for, since the beginning, thank you so much for sticking with us for this long, because yeah, it's slightly miraculous to put this out there and think that people actually truly listen to us. So yeah, thank you very much. I'm Rachel, and you can find me on Tumblr at Stars Nonsense and on WordPress at Journal of the Star Wars. So anything you'd like to add, Kirsty, slash your social media presence? Yeah, so I'm Bastilla Bay on Tumblr and Scavengers Horde on Twitter. And just to echo Rachel, we're incredibly grateful for everyone who listens and supports this show. Um, you know, we've had emails from people who maybe weren't listening to us from the start, but have gone back and listened to all those episodes since. 
which is even more incredible really because a lot of that stuff will be kind of outdated or <laughs> yeah you can see in hindsight how silly some of our speculation was but also things that we got right and what the fandom got right um so that's kind of a cool time capsule to have um and it's been through a lot of phases and at the end of the day this is just a fun hobby for us but uh it is a lot of fun and it's it's rewarding too um so yeah just thank you to everyone who gives us the time of day <laughs> yeah no thanks guys and yeah i think that's a good note on which to say goodbye so yeah bye guys thank you bye